I'm Stephen Haug. This is Beyond Consulting brought to you by ECA Partners. This week, we have the pleasure of hosting Nash Springberry. Nash, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks. Thanks, Stephen. Thanks for having me. Good. And you're coming to us from Melbourne, is that right? Yeah, exactly. So I'm down in Australia, way, way down under. Yeah, it's uh, been quite the journey getting here, but been here for about six months now. And, you know, I actually came down here to be with my girlfriend and now fiance. So it's a pretty, pretty big life move. Believe it or not, my current company, Claudera, is kind of, you know, the people who made it all happen. So it's one of those those perks and the great reshuffling, right? I was a boomerang. I left for a year, then I came back. And, uh, you know, sometimes you, you ask for a, a, a big thing and, you know, they might you know, be able to make it happen for you. So it's pretty, pretty cool being down here. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I assume that it was work that brought you out there, but it was personal move there and, and work let you get away with it. It's crazy. It's kind of like a, a series of stories with that, with the pandemic and remote work. So left Cloudera for a single store to, to be a director of sales ops over at single store and there, I went to Columbia for a digital nomad experience before they reopened up the office, which is a kind of a whole other story in itself. Because then they, while I was in Columbia, they reopened the offices and they're like, hey, can we get you back? And I'm like, I have a lease. Come on. I have a, a girlfriend. I want to wait and stay there. But uh, yeah, so was down in Columbia for five months, came back to San Francisco. Uh, my my partner and I, you know, we, we kept in touch and she's an Australian permanent resident. So if we were going to be not distance, but together, there's only one way to make that happen. You know, you got to be in the same place. When I was looking to switch roles, an old boss of mine reached out. We used to work a lot together at Cloudera. And he's like, hey, I just got promoted to chief strategy officer. We're building out some some teams. Do you want a job? And I'm like, absolutely. I'd love to come back. I love working with you. But I'm really trying to get to Australia. Can you make that happen? And turns out we had a whole immigration team and they've done this a million times before. And so it was a lot easier than expected. But it was definitely... If it wasn't for them, I don't know if I would be engaged, you know, to my future wife right now. Oh, that's good. Yeah. And I wanted to to chat more about Cloudera here. So you're the principal of corporate strategy. Yep. Get, can you tell us a bit about what Cloudera does? Yeah. So Cloudera is a, a big data management company. And if you remember Hadoop, right, as I did in college, you know, going through your information systems classes or whatever you did. And so there used to be kind of only one way to process big data. And it starts with this thing called MapReduce and parallel processing, where you, if you take, you have one person, you know, looking through a dictionary to find a word, or you could have a hundred people looking through a hundred different sections of the dictionary to find a word, you're going to get, you're going to find the word a lot faster. So that was kind of the the base technology when Cloudera started over 10 years ago now. And I actually joined Hortonworks, which is another Hadoop distribution competitor. So you have the Apache Software Foundation. They have a bunch of great technologies for managing massive amounts of data. Um, but it was kind of the Wild West, right? And so Cloudera did what they called Tame the Zoo Animals, because a lot of these Apache projects have animal-related names, like Hive, and then you know, Cloudera created Impala. You know, So you can see there's Pig, right, was another one. There's all these different great technologies that help people, you know, process massive amounts of data differently. Even NIFI, the NSA had a technology they would use for flowing data from point A to point B and then extract, transform, load, you know, doing different transformations on that data. And so that was a really great technology. They had to get permission from the government to open source. Well, Hortonworks bought, you know, that group in the the company uh, that would become NIFI. So it 
Clutter has a, a collection of technologies that are packaged into one clean distribution that you can create enterprise support on. And the new platform, CDP, encapsulates all of that. And you can run modern workloads in the cloud on, you know, on-prem data center. So uh, they have the only platform that lets you do that from a single uh, control plane layer. So they're the, the hybrid data cloud company. They do a lot of really cool stuff in the space. Big, you know, almost a billion dollars in revenue, 2,000 plus customers globally, 3,000 employees. It's a large enterprise and a large uh, global software company. Well, so 10 years, the company's been around and they're, would you say, a billion dollars in revenues? Yeah, it close to. Yeah, right over a billion. Yep. Wow. And are you the only one in Australia? <laughs> I No, it's crazy. So we actually had a meetup not too long ago and the coworkers down here have been really good. It's surprising. I was randomly got onto a call with this uh, product marketing director and saying where we're based. He's like, oh, I'm based in Melbourne. And I'm like, get out of here. I'm in Melbourne too. So we actually met up and and hung out a little bit. And then there was another team that's part of my boss's, you know, uh, strategy group and two of the senior leaders were also in Melbourne. So it's been a good opportunity to meet new folks and uh, there's a big, strong presence down here. So that's been nice. That is pretty neat. Is the team fairly global then? Australia, US, Europe, Asia spread out all over? Oh yeah. Locations yeah. all over the world. I mean, I think we're in, we have customers in 80 countries and we have offices in 35 was I want to say the last stat it's yeah. Huge global footprint. You know, we have a center of excellence for sales ops, which was my old, old world out in Cork, Ireland, big teams there, large engineering teams in India and, and Hungary. It's all over, you know, offices, big teams in, in China, Japan, Korea, uh, Singapore, obviously, uh, we, we have some folks in the Philippines. So yeah, it's a really large global operation. Do you all have... Even in Colombia. We have an office in Colombia. Oh, yeah? Not. <laughs> it was fun, fun to find out. Yeah, that is good. So you have physical data centers, right, that they all are running as well? So Air would just sell software. You know, we also... You know, we, we drink our own champagne. So uh, mm-hmm. and that's been one of the cool things, I think, through my consulting experiences. I started out going to college, no clue. I was going to have a green business because I wanted to. My mind, right, as a high schooler, I was a scholar athlete. And, you know, I had like a 397. And it was really important to be successful in the academic world, which I think a lot of folks who get into consulting kind of have that same parallel track where they want to be really good in school. And then they get to college. And it's like, oh, what do you do? Well, of everything you could do, consulting definitely sounded to be the most interesting. And I had originally wanted to go into accounting. And then I had a case competition. If you remember those from the college days, we did it with PwC, who's the firm I ended up joining. And so I was a freshman, right? Three months into college, we ended up getting selected out of, you know, five out of 50 teams to go to nationals. And that's how my relationship with PwC started. Different things happened. End of my freshman year of college, I became a financial analyst intern at Amazon. And six months there, one of the PwC partner reaches out and said, you should really apply for this consulting internship. And I'm like, oh, yeah. And she's like, the deadline's tomorrow. So if you want this, you got to do it tonight. And I'm like, oh, sure. And so I end up applying, go through two rounds of interviews. I end up getting it. And turns out I was three out of like 120 students who got this PwC internship for management consulting, which was crazy. But I like literally go from not having heard of it to a month later having the offer. And that was really how I got started in consulting. I knew it was what I wanted to, to do, but if it wasn't for some 
dumb luck at the beginning. I never would have gotten set on that path. Yeah, that's wild. It's like one comment that someone made to you almost, it sounds like, really set you down this path. And you went to, you were at University of Washington is where you got your undergrad degree. Is that right? Yep. Yep. Go Huskies. Yeah. Oh, yeah. To finish the question, yeah. at Amazon, I'm writing a bunch of SQL, right? And uh, that was one of those things you kind of learned, which I would say, if anyone out there is thinking about a great skill set, there's this issue in the world where we have a bunch of data and getting value out of that data you know, is actually this kind of big gap. So there's always been this gap between we have IT who is really good at building systems that can collect and process all the data, but then that disconnect with the line of business for how do we actually take that data and create something of value? There's a massive need for that. And what it comes down to is you have business analysts, which I think is a great career path out of consulting even is folks who need people on their team who can work with data, who can run a spreadsheet, who can find insights that are meaningful, present it in a way people can understand, and then hopefully, you know, take action on those insights. That's a huge skill set. So if anyone's thinking about something they can pick up errors in their quiver, I would look at BI, I would look at SQL. Uh, it's great stuff to know. That, that's a good point. There probably are a lot of interesting opportunities out there just to, to make public data more useful or other types of data thinking about companies like zillow you know the mls and, and tax data is probably out there in the county courthouses somewhere but a company that takes it all turns it into an app and then can can monetize that it's a great opportunity great skill to know and then opportunities for entrepreneurs out there as well to start something out i think that's a helpful tip for folks going into consulting or just you know, in college, thinking about how to build out their toolkit there for the next opportunity. Are you from Seattle or did you just go there for college? I'm from Spokane, Washington. So it's the east side of the state. Mm -hmm. The Columbia Plateau is what you call it. I'm about 45 minutes from the uh, border of uh, Idaho. So it was actually Spokane's the city. Cheney is the small town suburb that I grew up in. So if you heard of Eastern Washington University, yeah. Go Eagles. That was big. My mom was a grant writer there. My dad was an academic advisor. And so my grandparents were both biology professors. So Eastern and Cheney is really, you know, in the veins. It's a far cry. It's definitely a lot more like Idaho than it is like <laughs> Seattle, right? Uh, yeah. I was probably one of the only set of Spokane Democrats, right? There's not a lot of them, <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah. That's good. Do you ever run it? Not too many people from Cheney end up in, in Melbourne surprisingly not you know i've been looking for him yeah. but uh it hasn't happened yet how many folks are in that town oh cheney oh 10 000 when school's out of session and then when school's in session i think it goes up to closer to twenty thousand. so but it's a small town yeah so small town is that our washington university u-dub right yep Exactly. You dub. You did a ton of stuff in college, isn't it? You were an athlete. Did you mention that as well? Oh, that was high school. No, high school, I, I wish I was an athlete in college. Yeah. You know, I went to the, the rec center, right? That was about the, the extent of athletic activity. But in college, I was in, we called it Montlake Consulting Group. Honestly, a, a very interesting, in some ways, more intense subset of consulting before I got to the real you know, management consulting world. It's one of the, I think the best student run organizations I've seen. So uh, big shout out to the MCG partners who are continuing the, the work there. We would essentially take a small group of five students and there would be a, a business that would want to partner with us. And, you know, we were helping out an IT distributor 
we would go around and survey IT buyers in local community colleges and how to break into the higher education market. So that was a good first intro. Could not have happened anywhere else. You know, it was a great thing that the University of Washington and the Foster School business had. Oh, that's really cool. So was it like a, I mean, it was a consulting club effectively? Exactly. Yeah, a group of student consultants. I'm sure there's other models like that out there, but those are really good places to get experience, build some soft skills, you know. I know we chatted a little bit already about the way you got into PwC, a little bit of luck there and some hard work getting into PwC. You joined it because you wanted to join one of the big four. Is that right? You mentioned you wanted to do finance, accounting, what they're usually known for. Yeah. So after my Amazon internship, well, this was during it, but I was kind of thinking of, okay, do I stick on the accounting track or do I do? And so it, at Foster at the University of Washington, you could either do information systems, finance, you had these concentrations you could do. So I did a double concentration in finance and information systems, you know, mainly to get better SQL skills, which turns out learn, doing SQL on the job, you'll learn way more than you ever will in a, in a class. But yeah, I knew kind of consulting was where I wanted to go. Generally, it was but it was really after that interview, right? Like as soon as I saw it that night applied, then I'm like, oh yeah, management consulting. This is should have always been the plan. And, and I'll tell you during the interview for that, the internship, which is interesting because that one interview really, I didn't have to interview for another four years, right? <laughs> until you, five years till you quit. Patrick Pugh, who's one of the head Seattle partners at that time in the Microsoft account was the, you know, the biggest account. He comes in and the first thing he points out is, you know, my internships in high school, I interned for the Spokane coordinated campaign or Patty Murray's Senate campaign, right? was one of the things I did. And he was a big supporter of Dino Rossi, which if you know Washington State politics, Dino versus Patty Murray, you know, one of the great um, matchups. And so he gave me some flack over that. And I think that helped me not do what I normally do in interviews, which is not be personal, talk too much, right? (laughs) You know, like focus a little bit too much on the question and not about building a relationship with your interviewee, right? Uh, Which is a mistake we all make. Um, But yeah, I, I think they helped me get through that, which was nice. Good. Yeah, well, it sounds like a good first step into to consulting there. And you were there for four years, you mentioned? Yep. So four, four years at BWC. Walk me through that. So you joined thinking about finance or accounting. Did you stay in that group at PwC? Yeah, so I interned in Seattle at Microsoft. And I could tell during that, like, when I graduated, I wanted to leave Seattle, right? Like, let's... You know, the winners were getting to me. I just wanted to try something new. And so I'm like, oh, San Francisco. What I heard a lot about that. I know people going there, uh, West Coast City, which is important to me. And so I'm like, hey, can I get a job? So I call up HR at PwC. I'm like, can I get my offer transferred to San Francisco? And she's like, so you're in tech. Tice was the industry vertical because Seattle, Microsoft, right? San Francisco is all finance and healthcare. Tech is in San Jose. And I'm like, okay. And I quickly Google on my phone, where is San Jose, right? Like literally. And this is something it would probably shock a lot of you to hear, but telling friends and family in Spokane that I'm moving to San Jose, like, oh yeah, isn't that halfway between San Francisco and LA, right? And so like this whole different thing. But so uh, that's how I kind of ended up 
in Silicon Valley, first moved down to San Jose with a couple of roommates from PwC, and things kind of went from there. And I don't think it's a big deal to say this now, much longer after the fact, but we were on one of the largest corporate breakups that was happening in the Valley at the time. And the role, you know, essentially, it's, it's similar to actually a project I'm doing now, where these really big organizations generally don't have visibility to say, oh, I have this business unit. If that business unit was going to become a standalone company, what do those financials look like? And it's something our the CEO of the company that was doing the divestiture would said in a CNBC interview, without this balance sheet level visibility, they couldn't, uh, you know, have done the, the split, right? So that was the first project. And it was an absolute cut your teeth in. 7 p.m. is when you would generally see if you could, if it was okay to leave the office, right? One of those projects and working through the night, working some weekends. But I think it's one of those first job right out of college. I was literally still 20. I had just turned 21 and graduated on the exact same day. And without having, I think, one of those really disciplined, regimented, long hour projects. I think that stuff is really formative for, you know, you kind of, you build your habits, right? And so without that initial project being really hard, I think it would have been difficult to grow my career in in the way I've grown it so far. Whenever you joined PwC, were you thinking, this is where I'm going to settle into, be partner one day, or did you have the mindset of, I'm going to do this for a few years and then make the jump into industry? My whole plan was always make manager and then think about it, right? Like that was kind of where I was. I was happy. I got to put on some pretty interesting projects. One of the big projects I was on for over a year, I would say the work itself felt less interesting and engaging and valuable to me, even though it was definitely, you know, sometimes you just can't, you're so in the weeds, you can't see the bigger picture and why uh, a set of activity would be important. But I realized the experiences I got from that, going to New York quite a bit, going to Brussels, going to London, and meeting all of these different executives. And even though I was doing essentially PMO reporting, it was one of those like projects where it, a lot, and a lot of times it felt more internal than external in some ways. Even though we're working with the client a lot, you know, generally at these events, but then your day to day work, you're kind of working more with your internal teams, still incredibly valuable. So even when I was on a project where I'm like, I don't think I can transfer any of these skills anywhere, and I, I tried getting off, and I asked my, my manager, who was my mentor at that point, I'm like, hey, I've been here nine months. I'm kind of thinking I really want to do something different. And he gave me some great advice, and he said, look, a career is a marathon. It's not a sprint, which six years later, I'm like, of course, why was I so anxious to get off of that awesome life experience I was in the middle of? And those experiences, if you heard of this this book, and I think this might be relevant to a, a lot of the folks here on the show, The Defining Decade, and it's about the importance of your, your 20s, which I'm almost out of at this point, you know, only a few months to go. And it talks about you got to build up identity capital. And identity capital is the capital you use to buy, you know, buy, but to get relationships and to get jobs that you think, oh, yeah, I can do that. And so if you're on a project and you're thinking, this isn't for me, you know, this is boring, not what I should be doing, think about some of the, you know, take your head off of the domain expertise and think about some of the soft skills and the experience you're getting. And see if maybe this has more, there's more value there than you would think. 
That is probably helpful advice, right? We're always, like, I think that if you end up in consulting, you've probably been grinding it out for a long time. You know, in high school, you're putting together a perfect resume to get into college. College, you're putting together that resume to get into consulting or, or some other career similarly competitive there. But whenever you make it into that, that career, there's opportunities to build out all kinds of skills that don't necessarily go onto a resume. And it's oftentimes those relationships you're building or, or even the skills you, you build working with a difficult manager or something like that that can can help you out down the road because you know you're quite a few years ahead of you to keep working at that point. Was there any point during consulting where you kind of made the decision, all right, now I'm gonna start searching, looking outside of consulting and to make the jump? It, yeah, this is actually really interesting. Two years in my whole thing was uh, and it's about the same time I'm on this project, you know, wanting to do something else. I really wanted to get into renewable energy. And that was always a big goal for me is I want to help. Yeah, I think it's crazy. For for example, if you look at the line, which is the Saudi Arabian city they're building and they're building it, like, oh, where yeah, do they get all that money? Yeah. It's, it's selling a bunch of oil to the world, right? And what if we were able to keep, and you see it with the war in Russia and natural gas and Europe's um, heating supply. And it's, and it's crazy because eventually we will run out of this stuff. So I'm like, okay, we're going to run out of oil and gas. Like we have to electrify our vehicle fleet. We have to electrify generation. It was all in the same line of kind of what Musk has been saying with Solar City and of course with Tesla. And I'm like, that was, I totally bought into that. And so two years in, I had actually done some exploratory work with the clean group at PwC. And one of the folks on that, I think it's an absolutely outstanding group. They do great work. But one of the folks is like, Sean's like, oh, hey, look, this is more really utilities work. Do you want to be in the utilities industry? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Utilities, great. Then, of course, I try making the switch. And at that point, senior associate, and you're thinking in your head, I'm a senior associate. You know, I've got all these, my two years of career experience. I'm a veteran right at this point. And so I would go and they'd be like, well, if you want to switch industries and switch roles, you really need to take something that's going to be more entry level. And I didn't want to take the 20K pay cut or whatever of the stuff I was getting because, you know, I didn't really have a lot. So I, I interviewed a couple places, didn't get some roles I wanted, got one I didn't. And then I'm like, you know what? Oh, I shouldn't move. So I got into a project I wanted to be on. And then I just kind of stopped interviewing. So I tried once to leave and failed, essentially. So a year in, tried interviewing for an investment banking job, didn't get it. And that definitely bruised my ego. But I think in hindsight, it all was was for the better. So, but in my head after that point, I'm still thinking I'm going to stay tell manager. So I go from, I would say the enjoyable project where I didn't really feel like I was challenging myself from a domain expertise perspective. And then I go into, you know, this licensing model study at a large software company, six really intense weeks of almost no weekends, lots of expert interviews, though. And it was a really interesting project to get done. And then from there, I go to something that was more process driven at a larger hardware manufacturer in the Valley. And that was like, okay, probably did not take away a bunch of stuff I'll use in the future which is funny because some of it was Salesforce related and Salesforce ended up being something, you know, I, I work with a lot at this point. Then I get into this big project that, and I guess I'll just say, cause it's an important part of the career at Hortonworks. And they just brought in Alan Fudge to be the CRO. And Alan Fudge used to be one of Meg Whitman's old lieutenants at HP. So he was a really, uh, you know, a seasoned executive, a great CRO. Scott Davidson was COO. I could, start naming a ton of names, but I made some really great relationships on this six month 
end-to-end go-to-market restructure essentially where it wasn't really like restructure but you'd say these are our new segments we had to set a new segmentation model we had to figure out sales comp it was just a bunch of like a total refresh of the go-to-market model and that was super interesting and i've had a great relationships with the executive team and our sponsors and so at the end of it they're like hey, you know, we've kind of been joking about this the whole project, but do you want a job on our, our, our sales ops team? And the one thing I was thinking is what sales ops, that doesn't sound sexy. I want to do cool, something cool. You know, this is not going to be the thing for me. And I still remember the day I was on another project. So that project ended, I was on another one, which was, I just been up all night. We just got through a deliverable. And of course, we still have another thing we need to get out later that night. And so I'm exhausted, I'm dying. And then I get this call from our old project sponsor. And he's like, hey, da, 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 what are you making at PwC? And so I, I tell him what I'm making, you know, it was I think just barely over six figures at that point. And he's like, oh, look, we'll uh, give you a comp package that almost doubles your money. And I'm like, oh, what? Uh, and like, I still like remember that call. It changed my life forever. I'm like, I had no idea. I thought I was years away from this, right? Like, you know, this was something I was hoping to get to, you know, I don't even know when, right? And so at that point I was still 24 and I'm like, oh my God, I have got to do this. And so it was a big wake up call too. And if it wasn't for them in that call, I never would have left PwC, not for a while, I think. It was still a hard choice to leave. I absolutely love the firm. They've done so much for me. They really grew me into a professional. And I think- Without those four years, I would be nowhere even close to, to where I am today. And not saying I'm in this hall high and mighty position. I just feel like I'm a lot more capable at doing my job because of the time I had there. But it was a really hard choice. But at the end of the day, it came down to when will I see this comp again? And even one of my mentors kind of said that, like, really, if you make manager next year, how much money is that going to be a difference of, you know? And so maybe it was all crazy in my head, but uh, that was the reason I left was for that role to go work in sales strategy and ops at, at Hortonworks for for an old client. That's an interesting thing to think about in a bit more detail here. So you you know, tried to make a run at industry two years in, you know, the, the roles weren't what you, you hoped they would be. Worked out a few years after that. Is there a an ideal point for a consultant to to leave consulting? So and, and people make a lot of their own career choices. And I would say there's no bad or good choice. What I've heard and what I kind of been told, and someone had tried telling me that earlier. So let's say you make manager and as someone who never did, your skill set, if it kind of keeps growing and it's too, let's just say broad, I think I've heard anecdotally that that can be a harder transition to make if you don't build some sort of domain expertise. If your consulting work is really, I would say, domain expertise centric, which mine was not up to that point. That that first Hortonworks project was really my first true exposure to sales ops and sales planning work in a, in a meaningful way. I feel like if you spend more time without developing domain, that, that can't hurt you. That said, I do have friends who have wait, stayed longer, a friend who stayed at Accenture. Man, I want to say he was seven, six or seven years. And he's just recently had a really nice exit to Meta. Good role, good comp, all that. So 
that said, I had heard kind of that point where you're kind of at manager, maybe you just made manager, maybe right before is a good sweet spot, or you want to stay the course and stay on, you know, director, MD partner. But that said, then I also have friends who've had a good experience exiting after that point. And then I've had a friend who that's been harder for. So I would say that is kind of that like less than three years. I think people are still successful, but like that three to five years in my mind seems kind of like a sweet spot. But of course, people have different stories and, you know, I've been successful leaving before, been successful leaving after, been unsuccessful leaving right in the middle of that. So, but yeah, that's my general thought, three to that three to five year point. Yeah, that's a good point. And here at ECA, we talk with these folks like yourself quite often at different points in their consulting career. And it comes down, I would say, to what you're looking for as you found, you know, leaving at the two-year mark, different opportunities than when you're looking at three and four years. Depends on what you're looking for in the exit, what type of companies, those sort of things too. Did you have any friends that went uh, interesting routes out of consulting, things that you don't usually hear about? Oh, yeah, totally. My best friend, he went to Apple and he has a whole other kind of ordeal where he did the leave of absence from Accenture and comes back, I don't know what the policy is now, but they would give you a year sabbatical on unpaid leave. You could take an extended period for that. And he was trying to get his startup off the ground, which is Bold Bottle, an amazing shaker bottle. Look it up uh, if you're listening to this, Bold Bottle. A, a premium weight shaker, absolutely beautiful product. Um, he spent six years of his life getting it off the ground. So he takes a year off to get that back, comes back right when the pandemic hits of April, May of 2020, and it's kind of like, well, I need a job now and, and health insurance and income. And it was hard because it was right before consulting really took off in the pandemic in some ways, right? There was the fear and then there was like the great rise, maybe that happened early 2021. Because everyone who I've talked to after that point is like, oh my God, we've been so slammed, right? There's no you know, capacity whatsoever. We don't have enough people. But it was to the point where all the, the firms were still really unsure, you know, how's the pandemic going to affect business investment? We can't travel anymore. What's going on? It was tenuous because Accenture's like, look, we're going to staff the people who have been, you know, on the bench already is our priority. You're kind of second. But he was able to network his way into a good role at Apple and then ends up leaving Apple to focus on his his startup full time. No income, right? Living off savings and making it work. It's it's really cool what he's doing, building his own company from the ground up. Two friends actually got into venture capital and worked their way up to being principals. Now, one of them ended up going to Harvard Business School. The other one's uh, still in VC and kind of thinking about what his his next move looks like. Yeah, I I think that was a really interesting path for some folks. Uh, A lot of folks go right into tech, you know, jobs at LinkedIn and and Meta, doing what I kind of am doing a sales ops, uh, customer success ops, go to market ops, data analytics, supporting those types of roles. I see that really commonly. They left more at that uh, three to four year mark. But so I think sales ops, which is, you know, what I went into. And it's one of those things where we're interviewing for new roles for some of the join our team at Hortonworks. And my director, my manager, who's a really great friend and mentor of mine, Mike Inos, he's like, they don't necessarily need sales ops experience. We can teach them that, but they do need kind of a core skill set of, are they critical thinkers? Can they put an analysis together? Are they safe hands? That's something you hear in consulting a lot, but dot in your eyes and flashing your keys, um, whatever the saying is, and a good personality, a hard worker. Because even something like in our current role, as we're, we're growing the strategy team at, at Cloudera, 
um, we brought in another person from PwC and they were more in the finance industry focus, not really focused in the, the tech industry, but you could still tell like the work ethic, the discipline, the not being afraid to put time on a stranger's calendar to figure something out and being able to interview somebody and do a good interview, putting together a good work product, you know, putting together good slides. I know what we were kind of talking about earlier when we, we had an intro, you know, a lot of times people will leave consulting like, oh, slides no longer count as work, which, which is true. But, you know, in, for some jobs, it actually, if, you, if you're more analysis focused, it still does uh, matter and make a difference. But you'll see the content and the formatting go hand in hand. And some people and some things like the formatting is important, right? Like a, a board of directors deck, you want that looking clean. But the one thing like, so we were putting together a board of directors deck, you know, essentially here's, here's the quarterly update. And some of the feedback on some of the slides is this is fluff. Like it looks pretty, but the content is meaningless. We obviously can't go forward with that. And there's some of those things you learn where in consulting, it might be like, well, we need to stack a big appendix and show them how much work we've done. Yeah, so sales ops, you don't have to really have much of sales ops experience to get the first role. And I think a lot of hiring managers understand that. And I can talk more about what, what sales ops looks like, but yeah. Yeah, it'd be interesting to hear about. And it is always funny to talk with former consultants about that, you know, deck building skills, how that translates into their into their new roles. So I do find that they often find ways to leverage that skill to make things happen, even if it isn't something that, you know, if they join a team without other former consultants, they find ways to, to build structure around the team and around the projects using those skills. I do want to hear a bit more about a couple things, really. So love to hear a bit about the sales operations. And then you mentioned that you hired another former consultant. Do you actively look for for former consultants for the reasons that you listed the the work ethic the, those sort of things definitely i think you know as a lot of folks would see a lot of these jobs they'd be like oh uh, prior experience in management consulting or, or banking preferred or you know it's a plus or three to five years or similar type of role i was talking to uh, another person this is back in the day and something they kind of talked like oh you, you know you were a consultant there's like a discipline factor which i think is interesting like getting some hard work that needs to get done having the discipline to take a project it might be something that seems menial or or hard and it has a ton of different moving pieces and to still hold yourself to a deadline. And it's something I think you'll see as you know, your career goes. Like, for example, when I was at Single Store, my boss was the CFO and my other real boss was the CRO. They had time for me, but they really didn't have time for me. And if I didn't set my own deadlines for me and my team, and if I didn't hold myself accountable for those deadlines, stuff wasn't going to get done. And I think in consulting, there's really good structure because you have partners, you have a project plan, you have a specific end date, and you especially have clients and client reviews. And when you're scheduling your own reviews, you got to take a lot of the time to yourself. I think being a consultant really helps with that. And it helps you. Yeah, do you really want to work? You know, do you want to sign back on at 10pm and work for four hours? Probably not. But if you're going to get it done, it's really going to take that. So I think that discipline is a, a big factor why a lot of folks like hiring consultants because they, they will work to get the job done and they will hold themselves to account. And then thinking through the sales ops roles out there, you mentioned that you know, you'd had one 
project under your belt in sales ops before you made the jump into industry working on a sales ops team effectively. Was there anything about your consulting toolkit that you realized did not prepare you for that role whenever you joined? Any big learning curves that you had to overcome quickly? Yeah, I would say my business intelligence skill set, which was important for that role, was definitely lacking. And I think going into the biggest thing was probably domain knowledge and understanding various systems. Like sales ops can mean different things in different companies, right? And the way it's kind of either the right hand person to the, the CRO, like there's a good army analogy where it's like you're the, the operations, the logistics officer, kind of like the chief of staff. There's this team of analysts who run the forecast, right? So the biggest thing in, in sales ops is in sales in general is you have a forecast cadence of how much are we going to sell this quarter, right? This is you know, specific to the software, but any kind of public company, you know, you're going to see a quarterly cadence and a quarterly sales forecast. And it's important to get that right because you can see, okay, their performance, are we trending? Are we not trending? And so supporting a sales leader and their forecast is big. And if you haven't had a lot of exposure to forecast calls or pipeline or different stages of, of pipeline, all that is kind of like an intrinsic or leads, right? And what's a good lead model? There's this domain knowledge I felt I didn't really have exposure to just because my prior, my prior project experience didn't expose me to it. And what's really important in those scenarios is you're probably not going to be able to learn enough to be effective by just trying to do the work. It will help to go look at external sources. And I kind of did that with like forecasting and business intelligence. Like we were going to set up all of our sales reporting, right? And that was one of the first projects they gave to me is we're going to do it in Domo. And I kind of just tried to wing it, like open up Domo, see, you know, we had some consultants helping us. What could we build? taking a step back and actually reading some enablement material on it, taking a step back and looking for some white papers on forecasting, looking for white papers on a good lead model and reading those really helped catch me up. And all of a sudden stuff I had been working on, which I kind of thought I understood, you get this aha when you take a step back and you read someone else discuss it. So yeah, I would say stuff that was lacking my domain knowledge for the specific work I was doing wasn't really there and it takes concentrated effort to get caught up. And then another one being like, if you're going to work with business intelligence tools, you don't know anything that does take some ramp up other stuff. I wasn't prepared for. I think sales ops is really great. Cause I know, you know, you're talking about some prior guests and you might get into a role that is. So for example, when I took this director of sales ops role, one of the first things we're doing is the planning cycle. This is a hard thing where you got to say, okay, what the board gives you a, a target. This is what you need. And then you say, okay, we got to now assign that target out, bookings target out and quota. But it gets more complicated. Like what are our renewals? How, what do we have available for renewal? What's going to be our renewal rate? Now we have this big target. Okay, who gets what? And we're going to give this much to APAC, this much to EMEA, this much to the Americas. And then what headcount do they need? So you got to run these capacity models to figure out kind of what the, the headcount should look like. There's stuff like that where you have to know that all these things kind of need to get done. The other thing is like this idea of some of these real life consequences for some of your mistakes, which was something I wasn't prepared for. So I take that director of sales op role and all of a sudden I have a massive sales comp budget that we need to come up with comp plans. And I was familiar with comp plans and done it before, so I actually had some good domain expertise. But then you now we actually have to implement and you know pay people every month, which we kind of work with finance to do. And at one point, even though it was in their plan, someone was getting a very large payment. And I'm like, well, 
it's in the plan. That's what the payment should be. And that turned out to be too large. And that was something I really needed to have told my boss about, and I did not. You're going to make some mistakes. But I think that's something where consulting, no one's counting on you that they're going to get a direct deposit in their bank account, right? And that was something all of a sudden, there's very real life consequences. Oh, and you got something wrong. One, it's going to cost the company a ton of money. Or two, you know, like someone's uh, not getting the money they should. So there is kind of this thing of all of a sudden you can be put into positions where your mistakes have more gravity to them. You got to you know, recognize we're all human, we all make mistakes. You can't you know, beat yourself up too much about it, but it's definitely one of the things you gotta be more careful with. There's not another project that you're moving on to, right? This is what you're working on and uh, you're gonna be around for, if it works and then if it doesn't work, you're still gonna be around there too. Good, you know, one of the things that I'm curious about, you know, you were at Cloudera for a while, left for about a year, came back again. You, you've been with the company for a while. What's one of the things you're most proud about in your career there? I would say, I was kind of thinking my answer, like why I, I came back and what, what have you. I think there's a couple things we got done. One of them being building out all of this reporting infrastructure. And it's one of those where like people kind of had Salesforce, right? But Cloudera, we know we're drinking our own champagne. We had an amazing, you know, essentially a data warehouse. We didn't have any kind of consistent like metrics the sales team would look at. And these are really big organizations. And so we got together in a room, went through a massive list of metrics and said, this is what's going to be important for how we manage our business, pipeline generation. And then we have to set pipeline generation goals, which were then used, they actually even were referenced on, a, uh, on our earnings call. Like, oh, hey, these were on track because of these pipeline generation goals. And when I heard my work on an earnings call, that was like this kind of fun, like, oh, this stuff does matter to people, right? Like that, that was important that we can track and say we're generating enough or not generating enough pipeline. And then we built out reporting infrastructure that of course goes with all these metrics in Tableau. It was really good and really robust and to the point where they were thinking about let's break off and become an analytics center of excellence. And we actually took on different analytics projects. So as we're trying to migrate people to the new platform, we needed dashboarding that shows that as we got our, our public cloud product was taking off. We needed reporting to say track progress there. And so all of a sudden it was stuff that was really tangential to my role, but I was being pulled in and the team, uh, uh, Matt Perry, who was on my team, we were being pulled in to do these special projects. And I think that was really gratifying. I would say probably the biggest thing though was Hortonworks and Cloudera merged, right? Uh, that happened, I was at Hortonworks for six months, joined in February, and that October, September, they announced the merger. And it's a a merger of equals, uh, but Cloudera was more valuable at the time. So as you know, with company control, you only need 51% and you have all to say, right? And so uh, it was really merger of equals where Cloudera was going to be the uh, company in control and the surviving co. And so we had these functional integration leadership teams, and it was two people from each company for each function. And for the sales function, it was the VP of strategy and ops at Cloudera, my good mentor and friend, Tristan Monday, a VP of finance and controller, and also the, the ex-CFO, Mary Waraba, who's also a great friend and mentor, and one of the reasons I came back. And then it was Craig Ryle, who's our SVP of ops, sales strategy and ops at Hortonworks. And then me, who, you know, I was like a manager, junior manager at the time, and I was in this room full of uh, senior v VPs, VPs, 
and we were in charge with merging the uh, sales function, right, with a huge synergy target. Because essentially, you know, you're merging two equally sized companies about you're going to have some redundancy. And part of the merger thesis is you would have cost synergies. So we had a massive synergy target uh, that the four, uh, it was kind of like four people with the help of actually my old consulting um, uh, partners who I did the original project with, they come in to help with the merger as well. So um, that was uh, really, that was great uh, to be able to work with them again. But it was crazy to take an instrumental role in setting and doing a, that big body of work of integrating two sales functions. Right. Um, yeah. Look, I think if you're with a company for four years, you finally make the decision to to join a new company. You're there for six months, and you hear that a merger's happening. I think usually, you know, you get a little nervous. You know, you're you're the new one there. You're probably redundant once these companies merge. But you were put in the driver's seat there, and and were the one making the decisions and, and handling all the integrations and finding the synergies. Yeah, and I, and I should say, like, I was definitely the responsible, the, the racy, you know, consulted, you know, I was consulted, right? But it was still the epicenter of all of it. And then some of the stuff we did put forward in a brainstorming session ended up being what we submitted to our, our CFO. And there, there was things like, you know, our renewal rate reporting was different. The methodology was different. And it was probably, I would say, erroneous and there was decisions made in our licensing model based on that. And so there is like in these kind of important, the data connecting the two companies. I think that was a really interesting role to play. I think we did some stuff well. We, we got some stuff wrong. So, uh, yeah, but it was a really rewarding experience. That's cool. And then to the, the question that I think you and I both almost brought up a couple of times, you left Cloudera for a little over a year and then came back. Can you walk us through, through those moves? I was kind of, as the pandemic went on, I had this thing where I felt a little antsy, right? I felt, I guess you could call it burnout. I just didn't feel as engaged or as motivated. And I kind of felt like I wanted to be trying something different. And then I get one of those uh, phone calls where it was an old colleague who's at a different company and said, hey, this company where he had a really good relationship with the CEO, they're looking for a new director of sales ops. I said, you know, you'd be a great candidate. You want to talk? I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm always up for a conversation, good to explore things. Even though I wasn't really planning any move whatsoever at that point, like I was staying the course, starting to feel a little disengaged, but for the most part, happy where I was, totally happy. And then I'm like, oh, wow, this sounds, I get to own this whole org. It, it feels like a big step of a responsibility, right? There's no, where I felt like, it, you know, it, it cloud air in that position, I felt like I had a lot of coverage, you know, I had many, many bosses to the top were, I think it wouldn't be like that much smaller company. And I'd also not answered some recruitment calls in the past. And those companies where I didn't take the call, you know, LinkedIn message saying, hey, look, we thought you'd be a great fit for this role. And those companies ended up to have blockbuster IPOs. And I imagine I would have, you know, had a very great, if I'd gone over there, I would have made a lot of money. And that kind of uh, fear of missing out was still there as well. And so you're thinking, I should go to a smaller company, a startup that hasn't scaled yet and see if I can also kind of do the, the fun work of helping it grow and scale. And then you get the commiserate reward when it eventually goes public or they get an exit. So that was a big motivation as well. I, and I absolutely love Single Store. I had a great experience there. It wasn't quite the right role for me. And there was some growing pains, definitely. And so 
when I made it to the year and Caldera called again, it was just a really perfect opportunity to be like, you know, I don't think I necessarily been a great fit. And so now's a good opportunity to go back to an organization I love and people I love and know working with. And I love the people I work with at Singles Square. I wouldn't say that at all. I absolutely love working with them. My team was fantastic. The executive leadership was fantastic. My manager was fantastic. We ended up getting a VP of finance to sit above me. And so everything was great on that end. But at Cloudera, I really did feel like I was part of this family. I'd been part of for three years, all that history. I just knew the working culture, the people. I really enjoyed being there, and I, I missed that experience. So sometimes you'll, you'll go over to the grass, and I wouldn't say I went to non-green grass. I think the grass over where I went was, was great, but you realize you were already sitting on the greenest patch of grass, and you, know, you don't necessarily have to leave, right? Yeah, that's good advice. And before we wrap up here, any other advice that you'd give consultants thinking about maybe making the jump into industry? Yeah, I would say do your homework. If you're going to join a smaller company, it's okay to ask for financials in like not you may maybe something was verbalized to you, but you want to say, uh, oh, it's this growth rate, not that. And, you know, those are important decisions on the trajectory of that company. And so, like, and that was something someone else had told me. So I'm not saying that's relevant to my my scenario, but it w- I thought that was good advice. So you can definitely ask for that stuff. I would think deeply about what the trajectory of that exit would look like. So if you're going to go into something where it feels like, okay, this could be more pigeonholed or this actually could be a, be a broader skill set, I would look into that because you, you could find yourself in a path you, you can't really get off of so easily. So if you're going to make that first jump, I think people are willing to take more of a chance on you not having certain domain expertise. I think after that point, people are willing to do it, but you will be like, oh, sales ops. He's a sales ops guy. He's a sales ops experience. And I was able to get into a, like more of a, a strategy role because of the working relationships I already had. But I know that's always a concern of, will this role allow me to change roles in the future or will I be more kind of locked in? So that's something I definitely would think about. Yeah, do your homework on the company you're joining. Try to understand the the role better. Uh, Yeah. Good. Well, thanks for that, Nash. And thanks so much for joining us here. Yeah, that was great. Thanks for having me. Love talking with you. 